Hey guys, Metal Jesus here, and we are about to discuss metal. This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Jason of Metal Jesus Rocks, hosted by Dan Terry and Joseph Wren. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. Hey guys, Metal Jesus here. Now, if you are a fan of the Nintendo 64 looking for a solution to connect it to an HD television, well, you are in luck because in this video, I'm going to review and compare side by side. Oh my goodness, you know what I forgot to ask? I forgot to ask where you came up with Metal Jesus or if it was just the fact that you look like Jesus. It's because at my real estate tech job, I was the guy who had the 300 gigabyte music server that was shared out to the entire company. And it was all okay. 80s and 90s metal. And uh, anyways, I'm sitting in a board meeting talking about something or other. And a CEO of the real estate company's there, which is a very buttoned down, very mellow dude. And my coworker, instead of when they called me asking some sort of technical question, he's like, well, what does the Metal Jesus think? And it just stuck. And so my, my coworker, Neil, named me Metal Jesus. And I was known that ever since uh, working there. And then when I started the YouTube channel, I was like, Metal Jesus rocks. I'm going to keep it simple. <laughs> well, welcome back to another episode of the Discuss Metal podcast. We've got a fun interview for you tonight with uh, Jason of Metal Jesus Rocks. How you doing tonight? I'm doing well. This is uh, this might be the first time I've appeared on as a guest twice. So this is good times. Yeah. Hey, you know we had so we had so much fun talking about Allison Chains. That uh, unfortunately that dominated uh, so much of the conversation. I was like, oh, but there were other questions I was going to ask, but there's only so much time in a day. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, people apparently yeah. don't like listening to four hour podcasts. Um, <laughs> I do, but some people don't like to. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to be back, man. I'm glad you, glad you guys asked me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you guys don't know uh, Jason or Metal Jesus, as he's known on uh, on YouTube, and uh, various other platforms at this point. He's kind of expanded out now. He's on podcast. You just did an interview um, with, uh, what were they called? They had a really cool name. It was a gaming website. You just posted it today. Yeah, gaming Purist. Gaming Purist. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, I actually read through that interview today, and I was like, okay, I just want to make sure I'm not going to ask him the same questions. Uh, <laughs> you know, whereas, you know, at least on a podcast medium, you have a little bit more room to expand uh, out on some yeah. of that stuff. So. But I yeah. guess uh, one of the things that I always found notable about you on uh, on your YouTube channel was the the fact that you know number one we've got the whole Metal Jesus thing, you've got music, you've got theme music that you recorded yourself, mm -hmm. and um, you know very very obvious that you play guitar, that you were in a band, you were a, a massive metal enthusiast uh, with your own um, Patreon uh, podcast, Metal Militia, you know and. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that was one of the things that really drew me to you as a YouTuber. But uh, what I want to do with this interview is kind of go back a little bit to um, what, you know, what first got you into music or, or more specifically into metal. Yeah. Um, well, my, my dad is a great lover of music. And he was of the age in the 70s when I was a young kid that he introduced me to a lot of bands that were great in the 70s, like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. And he was a big Deep Purple guy. And um, so... So that's that's where that love came from. But I, but honestly, I, I think it's just in my DNA because uh, my dad played drums and trumpet, and then so I was, in, you know, he's got great rhythm, and it turns out that I also have an affinity for rhythm as well. So my first instrument actually was drums, and um, and I was always kind of drawn to just music from the beginning as a kid, and so uh, really just got passionate. I, I, and actually, specifically when it comes to metal, it was my cousin that introduced me to he i think he gave me van halen one and an ace freely kiss album um along with i think a wham album <laughs> nice so i had so i had wham he gave me three albums wham van halen and uh and kiss and well as you can guess two of those three albums stuck with me <laughs> and uh yeah i was a i was and you know another thing too is that i was a you know young impressionable kid in the 80s when mtv was taken off all that metal was just starting to take off with, you know, with the Scorpions and Van Halen and obviously Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. I mean, you know, uh, so it was a perfect time growing up to just just be inundated with it. And it was cool is that it was on the radio. It was on your television. It was everywhere. And so that was just 
what I was passionate about for sure. Don't you miss that time period where metal was cool? Like, or at least <laughs> mainstream enough. Yeah. I know a lot of metalheads are like, I don't care if it's mainstream or not, but like, yeah, there was a certain magic to it that, you know, you had these, these, these big personalities up on these giant stages playing to all yeah. these people, you know, like it was really, really magical uh, back then. I mean, I, I wonder if kids today realize that there was a time when Metallica would release, you know, when I remember when and justice for all was just going to be released and everybody that I know was like, we're going to tower records. We're going to stand in line because we have to have that the moment that it comes out. And I think those days are long gone. I mean, I, obviously people look forward to albums these days, but man, back then it was, it was an event, you know? Yeah. Now it's make a cup of coffee, wait until midnight and then stream it as soon as it comes out. Maybe you've got a pre-order coming in the mail. Maybe you don't, you know, but yeah, uh, yeah it's not, it's not quite the same. Uh, as as it used to be for sure, or you get that visual of the rock club from like Purple Rain, where the entire building was packed with rock oh. metal enthusiasts. <laughs> yeah. The band has all the lights and all the flair of the stadium rock or even Metallica to this day, and that doesn't exist anymore. That hurts my feelings. That that could have been something I experienced, not anymore. Okay, you want to hear something hilarious? So. Uh, you know how Netflix and Amazon kind of recommend stuff to you, right? Like when you go log in, there's like, you know, we think you're going to like this. Last night, sitting down to dinner, I, I fire up Amazon Prime, and I don't know why. Maybe it, maybe it knows more about me than I know. But the number one re- recommended movie was like, I think you're going to like this, was Break Into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. So, so my wife sat there, and I'm like, we're watching this. Yeah, She's right like, now. what? <laughs> So we watched about an hour of Break Into Electric Boogaloo. I've never seen it before. It was so goddamn funny. And what's hilarious about it, and this is the reason why I mention this, is because, to your point, it's really wild watching movies from, like, say, 1984, which is when that was released, and how crazy they thought the world was. Like, people would be walking down the street and breakdancing, and there'd be a cop giving a ticket to somebody who's pulled over, and the cop would stop, you know, start dancing in the street. It was just, like, <laughs> insanity. So... Yeah, not metal related, but I had to bring it up. No, it's fine. It's all, it's all, it all fits together for the time period, and and yeah. with that, with that time period, you know, um, so you're getting into some of the bands that were obviously laying the framework for metal as we know it today. You know, uh, over the top guitar theatrics and um, mm-hmm. and even heaviness started started shifting. You know, to where bands were like, well, we could do this harder. We could go harder. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and you know, Metallica kind of kind of was the torchbearer for that for a while. And then, you know, you've got Slayer comes in and before you know it, you've got bands that are so loud that you can't even like, it's a wall of noise, you know? And, um, right. So, and I, I know, um, you know, based on, on one of your more recent videos and, uh, you had shown a CD of your band. So like, when did you start playing music as far as, uh, wanting to actually kind of contribute you know, because you're you're a fan yeah. first and foremost, and then you're like, okay, but I want to unleash my version of heavy metal to the world. Yeah, so that all started when uh, my family moved away from the Seattle area, and I was left here, kind of to go to to college and uh, no money, you know, less than zero money, and uh, sitting around going, okay, I've got about ten dollars for food for this week. <laughs> and I need some entertainment. And and I was like, and I was starting to think about, okay, like, you know, where can my dollars go? That sort of makes sense. And originally I was like, well, I could get a, a drum set, but, you know, you end up annoying your neighbors. So I was like, well, shit, I should just get a guitar because the, the amazing thing about a guitar is, is that you buy it once and other than strings, you can play it for the rest of your life. I mean, the, the amount of entertainment that you can get from a musical instrument is almost unparalleled. You can spend your whole life doing it. So it's just like, oh, well, maybe I should pick up a guitar. And so that's exactly what I did. I got a really crappy one from a guy off, I don't even know if there was Craigslist back then, but got a used one that had a bowed neck. <laughs> but, he, but it came with an amp. And I started to, and I, I and I realized that I loved it. I was, you know, because I was like, I just really took to it very quickly. And because I had no money and nothing else going on. I just practiced for hours and hours and hours. And I remember reading an article about Eddie Van Halen, who, you know, would just practice for hours and hours and hours. Like, okay, well, that's what I got to do, you know? And so that's exactly what it was. But I've always been to, into a lot of different music. And so while heavy metal is one of them, I also 
listen to a lot of other styles too. So I really tried to experiment with it and have fun with it and create different tones and textures. And so like my theme song is more kind of punk, I would say, Yeah, but there's songs. Yeah. And so there's songs where I've done a little bit more ambient style in the, in the, like maybe trip hop, like, uh, you know, massive attack or Cocteau twins, stuff like that. Or, um, uh, there's a couple songs I specifically wrote in the style of Tool, where it's drop D, um, or maybe like uh, Queens of the Stone Age and stuff like that. So, kind of all over the place. Yeah, and that that would have been at a time um, when when would you say that was probably like 90s? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was uh, uh, 91 or two, something like that. And that was something that we kind of brushed on when we were talking about Alice in Chains was that music was kind of. Um, it was kind of an age of experimentation where there were so many different styles coming. Like people didn't necessarily want to play the glam of the eighties, you know, that didn't make sense in the nineties. And, um, but you, you know, if you played straight up, I mean, you could, you could go play in a straight up punk band, but you know, you you wouldn't ever get anywhere necessarily doing that. You know, you might get big in the punk scene and that's it, you know, your local punk scene. Yeah. Yeah, the 90s was a really interesting time for music because the alternative scene was sort of the popular medium. And alternative meant truly alternative. It wasn't what – like I, I turn on the alternative station on, uh, on on Apple Music or Spotify and I'm like, eh, it's a little – like it's, it's a little folky, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where – we're back in the '90s. It really meant just everything from U2, which would be, of course, you know, on the the popular side. But again, you would have experimental bands, or you know, like uh, Soul Coffee is one of them that comes to mind, where samples and drum beats, but sp- spoken word, and it was just all over the place. And so it was a really great time for creativity and music, but yet still, for the most part, played by real musicians too. So. Um, you know, you had Nine Inch Nails and Ministry really coming to their own then. Uh, it was just all over the place, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, one of the interesting things about that time period, too, was that it seemed like there was still kind of the old school mentality of, you know, get a band, you write write 15 songs, get a band together, record a demo or record, try to record an album and then hopefully, you know, get it in the ears of a record label. So what was, uh, how long was it between when you picked up the guitar and started playing before you were like jamming out with, with a band? Uh, for, well, hmm, a couple of years for sure, because I was actually really interested in the recording aspect of it pretty early on. And, um, so I had a four track recorder like almost immediately and in doing so i just played around with soundscapes and uh really messed around with microphone placement and you know some of the heaviest songs i've ever recorded were off of like tiny little practice amps with a microphone just jammed so closely to that cone that i mean it's like evil sounding yeah you you know so you were playing black metal at some point yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly um so, so to answer your question, there was a lot of it in the beginning was because I wasn't very skilled or anything like that. I was just more just kind of messing around with sounds, obviously practicing and learning. Um, and then at a certain point, I actually was like, okay, I'm going to go take some lessons. And the first thing I did is I went to a community college and was taking guitar lessons. And I realized very quickly that, wow, I was light years beyond the the beginner class, I realized that, wow, okay, these are people who literally are picking up for the first day. And so then I got a private teacher who was a jazz musician, um, and he really expanded my mind about technique as well as how chords and and chord progressions work. Um, uh, And he really was like, uh, he's like, okay, this is how music theory is. This is how the, this is why this sounds really good next to this. You know, he he sort of started explaining the nuts and bolts of music, which frankly blew my mind. I, I ate it up. I loved it. Um, and at that point, around that time, I also started to, to realize that, you know, I'm not going to be the next Steve Vai or Joe Satriani or Mike Petrucci of Dream Theater. I was like, I'm a really good rhythm player, but I'm not, in order to become a great solo soloist, that's Mount Everest. And so that's when I started working with other people going, okay, let's stick to my strengths here and let's work with other people who can fill in the the holes in my knowledge and stuff. That was my outlook when I started recording. I didn't decide one day that I wanted to be an engineer or a recording mastering expert. I'm definitely not those things, but 
it got to a point when we were in one of our first bands. Okay, we've got a really good idea. How do we record it so that we can listen to it and give it to other people? Mm-hmm. It literally came down to that narcissistic quality that a lot of artists have, where you just want to hear yourself that first time or see yourself that first time. So I started recording because it just fell into my lap because I knew how mm-hmm. to manipulate a four track and do basic leveling and make things sound good. That became what I did, and I still do it to this day. The solo artist aspect, because we idolize those players. Joe Satriani fan forever, right here. Uh, Steve Vai, Eric Johnson, Dimebag, mm-hmm. Zach Wild sometimes. But then you meet that person, and for me, it was my friend Aaron, who I met the guy who's going to be the next solo artist that people are going to talk about, and it was like that pressure came off my shoulder of, okay, I know what my strengths are, so I don't need to get in his universe. He's got that covered. We've got the next lead guitar sensation right here. Huh, interesting. Yeah, the other thing that happened to me is that, um, you know, I, I was definitely playing guitar, um, met my buddy Drunken Master Paul, who was a singer, and also he was just the front guy. He just has that personality where he wants to be on stage and entertain people. And so that definitely helped things uh, kind of solidify sort of a band or, you know, someone to play out with. But uh, as far as the recording for me, what happened was that after 9-11, uh, it was like six months after 9-11, I got laid off from my tech job. I was working at a DVD publisher. Um, and I was like, okay. It was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? Like, you know, I've been doing tech for a while because I'd worked at Sierra and I'd worked at a couple other companies. I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to take this opportunity and just go back to school. So I took an audio production engineering class at the University of Washington. And that was mind blowing. That That's when I was like, oh, because I, I remember the first day, just like it was hands on with a Neve console. And we were going into like recording studios here in Seattle and you're meeting people who were actually doing the job. And that was, I was like, awesome. I was like, that, I love that. So so in addition to the creating the music, it also took my knowledge of recording music to a whole nother level. And also at the same time, they really encourage people to get uh, internships. And so that's exactly what I did. I I got an internship at a, a, a local recording studio that, and that's that was mind blowing as well, being able to go down there every day. And again, I wasn't making any money because I was an intern and I was technically laid off, but I basically had almost two solid years to just see what what it's like to be an engineer you know working at a rec or you know recording studio or at a radio station it was just like it was mind-blowing it's funny you say that too we talked to toby wright a few weeks ago okay it was a few months ago but uh (laughs) about uh you know we were like you know when was the first time somebody just threw you behind a board and he's like oh i was just uh i don't think he was an intern at the time but he was basically just like the guy there to plug everything in, like the engineer. He was doing maintenance work. Maintenance work or whatever. And they're like, well, the producer didn't show up, so you're producing this record, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, was, th- was there ever a situation like a holdout, like, oh, well, maybe that's going to happen? Or, you know, if I stick with it long enough, do you think somebody's ever going to put me behind a board and, you know, get my opinion on things? Yeah, so... So I, I got a lot of hands-on experience in classes, but but in the recording studio, what I quickly learned is two things. That one, those people, at least in Seattle, they keep those jobs for life because it, it, there's just not that much work. And so the guy that you know, and the owner, and and the guy who is working behind the board, he'd been there for five years, and he's, you know, I, they shut down, but he's probably still doing that today. And it, it's just because Seattle is such a small market for that. I think in order to truly get lucky, you'd have to go to a place like Nashville or LA or New York City to just have more opportunity for that. Uh, the other thing I learned too, which was a little bit disappointing, is that while it's such a highly skilled job, they don't make hardly any money. Uh, so much so at the time, at least, you know, this is back like in 2002 or whatever, it was barely above minimum wage and they were working long hours and this is after five years of work. And so I was like, oh man, that sucks. You know, it's great if you love it, but it's so unfair because it's such a cool job that not everyone can do yet it doesn't pay very well. So I was kind of like, huh, is this, is this where I'm going? You know, because it's going to be hard to do in Seattle, you know, 
but and that was the amazing thing about moving to a career in YouTube is that all of that though all of a sudden was like oh well I I know how audio production works and in that recording studio we actually made a couple commercials that I helped with one for the Seattle Mariners an actual television commercial uh, and also they would work on commercials for uh, the health industry because the health industry is really big in Seattle so we worked on a 30 minute infomercial that would play like at two o'clock in the morning but all of that I was able to take and go to YouTube and go oh I Immediately, I was like, I know how all this works. I, I'm not necessarily great at it, but I, I, I can, I can take those skills and apply them to YouTube. The knowledge demystified the yeah. difficult process. My favorite example of the self-made filmmaker for a long time was James Rolfe, because mm-hmm. he just did it in an old-school, hands-on way that. I didn't even do anymore. I was already recording music with computers and digital recording four tracks and now my PC. Um, I don't edit video that much anymore, but I have knowledge of how that's done. A lot of it's the same as what I do in audio. But then I'd watch James make those videos, his earliest videos, where he was still doing the old school, I've got two VHS players, how can I make a movie? (laughs) <laughs> and to me, that was awesome. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Well, I mean, that's the thing about if you're going to do YouTube or if you're going to like uh, the thing that, you know, a lot of people ask me, it's like, hey, do you think I can do start doing YouTube today? It seems really crowded. And, you know, how does one succeed? And I and actually, I always tell them that my analogy is, would you ever want to start a band? You know, do you think you could start a band today? And the answer is because it would be hard to do that too, but you've just got to get in there, do the work. You're going to play in a shitty club to four people, and two of them are probably girlfriends of the band, and you're going to do that for years <laughs> as you hone your craft, yeah. as you learn how to write songs in the YouTube world, as you learn how to make better videos. You know what I mean? And that's what you do. And I I, I, I always think about Kiss, the band Kiss. Kiss is not a great band. Don't get me wrong. I love Kiss. I agree. But – what they did was they just simply outlasted all the naysayers to the point where they just stuck around. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that's kind of dismissive because, again, I I have all their albums. I'm just saying they write some terrible lyrics, but at the end of the day, you just have to last longer than all of the naysayers and just get to do the work, you know? Well, and I want to get into that a little bit. So, you know, we, we've talked we at, up to this point. We've talked nothing about we've talked about nothing but music and the musical background and all that, and you know, let's be honest, that's not what you're um, famous for, you know, um, not primarily, right. you know, and no, no, that's that's absolutely true. So we've got we've got kind of this back current of, uh, and I always joke too because one of the things I used to say is like I love Metal Jesus because we, him and I had kind of the same pathway but chose different routes <laughs> you know um i also am a massive video game enthusiast you know massive um and i had to make a decision early in my life am i going to go the route of music or am i going to go the route of i guess uh video game um i don't know video game enthusiast which it's so funny because up until like what 10 years ago video game enthusiast didn't mean job you know, uh, right, yeah. it, it meant quite the opposite, right? It meant loser. It meant, you know, all the, all these <laughs> negative things like, oh, you, you know, sits there and plays games all day. Um, but what I thought was interesting is so, you you know, you're talking about all this stuff going into audio engineering and, and all that stuff. But at the same time, you're, um, you know, a massive, a massive gamer and you're kind of following it throughout. I guess one of the things, that, and I've tried to identify exactly what it was, and my wife actually had to help me out with this a little bit. Um, as far as the performance aspect of it goes, you know, when when did you realize, or if you did realize, that you had an ability to go on and on and on and on about things in a way that was interesting for people to listen to? And in your in your case, it was video games. You know, um, and I could do like I could I could do a video game podcast tomorrow, but um, I decided to stick with music because video games are very um, oversaturated. <laughs> like at this point, like I couldn't enter the video game podcast or YouTube game now. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe I could 
to your credit, you know, to what you said, like, well, if you do the work and yeah. you last a long time, sure. Uh, but I've, I've laid the groundwork for doing music related things. And so I mm-hmm. guess, I guess for me, it's a, it's kind of two questions rolled into one. Um, what made you decide to start focusing on video games um, as your as your medium, and when did you realize that you had a talent to do it? Because there's a lot of people out there that do it that don't really have the talent. So, boy, uh, it's loaded. I know. To answer, <laughs> yeah. So to answer your question about video games, I mean, I've been a gamer since I can remember, and it's something I'm passionate about. I am really passionate about the two things. I'm passionate about music and video games. And despite my YouTube channel being mostly about video games, I actually spend an equal amount of time every day either listening to music, thinking about music watching music you know my my subscription my subscriptions on youtube are very much both you know i watch an awful lot of of music videos or behind the scenes or all that sort of stuff about albums and things like that um so when it came time to my youtube channel i really just wanted to do both that's why i chose the name metal jesus rocks because i didn't want it to be something that would lock me into just video games i needed to be memorable and i wanted it to be somewhat generic so I could potentially do both because I didn't really know where that was all going to go. But as far as, you know, but video games is very natural to me because I have been doing it for so long and my association with Sierra and all that sort of stuff, it just kind of hooked with people. Um, It's funny you mentioned the whole finding my voice because I, I think this is the thing is that when you start off, it's really unnatural to sit there and just talk to an empty room with a camera. It's really weird. And it's funny because a friend of mine, uh, he's the guy who uh, found the orange Xbox Halo edition at a garage sale. This is a couple of years ago. And Emilio was like, he was kind of jealous of his friend Reggie, who'd been on my channel a lot. And Emilio was like, you got to have me on. I was like, okay, cool. You know? And then when he found that Xbox, he's like, this is perfect. You know? And uh, Emilio came over. And again, it's just he and I standing with a camera. And he couldn't get through it and and he doesn't mind me telling the story because he was really surprised he was because it's so weird to have a a conversation with an audience that is not there yet right right? yeah and uh that's why when you watch that video it's mostly me telling the story because we did so many takes of him trying to tell the story and it just just didn't work out so the to answer your question it, it doesn't necessarily come natural to create YouTube videos. Um, the other thing I like telling people is that originally I scripted my videos. If you watch some of the very first ones that are uploaded, they're scripted and it's not natural at all. Cause I reading and speaking at the same time is another skill you have to develop. And I just didn't do that. So what I ended up doing was just trying to riff a little bit. Um, but most people don't realize that almost all of my videos where you hear voiceover uh, I do pretty much take after take after take. I usually do about, I usually what I do is I do notes. I give myself notes and then I just kind of riff on that a little bit to make sure that I hit the highlights and hit the things that are, I need to talk about. But like, for instance, I just did a video on Friday. What was that about? It's all a blur. Um, was it the we hidden gems or yes. Okay. So we hidden gems that had about 97 takes on it. Oh, wow. 97. And because what I'm doing there is I'm basically just doing a sentence or two in my style and then I'll stop and then, you know, the next point and the next point next. And I just sort of build out 17 minutes and it's 97 takes, Uh, you know. Yeah. But I found that that works for me really well. And thankfully, people think that it's fairly natural sounding. Now, (laughs) a lot of tricks and tips that I use. So, for instance, I'm very good at overlapping the different takes so most people don't notice. Um, I'm also really good about splicing in dead space, you know, picked up from the microphone so I can really mask stuff like that. Um, plus using compression and, and also, and this is really important, a drum beat in the background. If the drum beat wasn't there, people would definitely notice, but with a little bit of a beat there, nobody notices all the different takes. That's Uh, that's just a little, yeah. And so, um, and, and actually, and usually like, for instance, a 17 minute video like that takes me about an hour. So I'm pretty good at it. It also de- depends on how familiar I am with the games and what I'm talking about. But, um, usually that will take an hour. The vast majority of it is the editing actually, and also the game capture and stuff like that. Well, and that's the interesting thing. Like, and it's funny hearing it from me as a podcaster 
and you can ask Joe, I'm terrible at delivering scripted content. <laughs> I mean, it's skill. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really really hard. It's much easier for me to improv, and it's funny because people always say like, you. You know, you improv really well. That's a really great skill, and yada, 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 yada. And I'm like, yeah, but if you write it down on a piece of paper and tell me to say it, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a goddamn robot. And um, yeah. and to your point, too, about talking to an audience that's not really there, you know, when we all launched, when we launched this podcast, when you launched your YouTube channel, you're talking to crickets, you mm-hmm. know, the first time, you know, like, like the yeah. first the first video, and you're watching, and you're all like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I remember telling myself the first time I saw 15 views on a podcast that it was like, Oh my God, it's people are listening to this, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, and, yeah. and now, you know, you don't even think about it. You just look at the numbers and you're like, Oh, okay. You know, but like the, uh, yeah. the hard part about it is that like, there is a certain amount of passion that shines through in that delivery, whether it's scripted or not. And I think that's the hard part about, about kind of captivating an audience is that, you know, if you're talking about something that you don't care about, everyone knows. <laughs> like it's yeah. the the human ear is so good at detecting you know um fakeness or uh or or anything like that and even even if you're not necessarily enthused about the game that you're talking about or I'm not enthused about the album that I'm talking about or whatever uh people notice that kind of thing and um it can be really hard but that thing that you told me about the drum beat is just really really interesting because it's something that I've never really noticed before and now if I go back and listen Good. to a video, yeah, well, <laughs> if I go back and listen to a video, now I can't unhear it, you know, uh, like I'll be like, yeah. oh yeah, okay, yeah, he told me about this, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny too, is that because uh, one of the most famous examples of, of overdubbing every other word now, and, and I'll point this out, you may have noticed this, but uh, the biggest user of this, I think in rock history is David Lee Roth. If you go back and you listen to almost every single David Lee Roth album, you'll notice that at the end of a phrase, his his first take trails a little bit, and he's still speaking, and he'll start speaking the next one in the middle of a breath. Huh. Listen to David Lee Roth, and it's like, I mean, he they did that all the time for him. He must have did every single line a million times. You're blowing my mind with some of this stuff. Like I'm not really even thinking about it. <laughs> Where I, have you been? I, well, I've been I, talking <laughs> about this shit for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I, I know this episode is about you, Jason, but I have to give Joe a little bit of credit. Like, every single thing that I say, like, oh, my performance, and I'm able to da 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 and look at me, oh, my God. Uh, I would not even be anywhere anything without Joe. Like, you know how you're telling me it takes you 97 takes or whatever? I've got a guy for that. <laughs> like he yeah. will literally, he will literally be like, say it again <laughs> or, or, or <laughs> say it like this, or you're not talking to, he's already told me two times in this episode, like speak up, you know, you don't, you're, uh-huh. you're, you're not loud and boisterous and people want loud and boisterous Dan, you know, like it's, you know, <laughs> oh, uh, I, I didn't yeah, notice. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's one of those things that like he notices all that stuff for me. And, you know, to your point too, about like talking to no one, um, we did a episode of discography discussion, a pilot episode. This was the first night where Joe was like, yeah, just come down. You could drink some beer. It'll be fine. You know, we'll mm-hmm. do an episode. It'll be, it not, it's not going to be a big deal. And I think I talked about a band by myself. So the first episode of the podcast was me talking about a band's discography by myself. And oh my God, was it so fucking boring? <laughs> you know, it was just so, cause my voice is monotone anyway. So like, if you can imagine like no humor, uh, sure. no real drunkenness, no real, you know, a- any of the jokes that we tell and all that stuff. Um, it helps to have somebody else in the room. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's yeah. the next point that I'm going to kind of jump into is that, you know, you are one of the rare examples of a YouTuber that has no problem bringing other talent in, uh, in order to highlight, yep. you know, in, in order to highlight not only what you're doing, but maybe if they're trying to do something themselves too, you're able to highlight both of those. Cause you know, it's kind of cool that there's a metal Jesus crew, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's funny that, 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 that's even a thing because I didn't, that wasn't a plan necessarily to make a crew. It was just that it grew out that way. I mean, I basically learned very early on to your point, I'm not going to sit there and try to fake it, you know? Um, and, and the reason for that is, is that because there's, and I've said this before, there's 40 years worth of, of video game history. It would be, it'd be arrogant of me to assume that I could somehow come in and just pretend to be the expert of everything. I think that would be just embarrassing and sad. And so I, I really wanted to bring in people who, who would also be passionate and talk about what they know and, 
you know, and not have to try to be the guy who knows everything. It, to me, it'd be like, again, we we're talking about music. If somebody comes in, they're like, I know everything about music. You would laugh in their face. There's no way. Right. It's 100 years of, of, of musical knowledge. You know everything. No way. Or even mu- movies is another great example. No way. Every someone knows everything about movies. And so for me, I'm lucky that I live in Seattle because I am surrounded by people who are uh, game collectors, game enthusiasts. And so it's not hard to find people. Um, and, you know, going into gaming stores and meeting people and hearing their in, about their passions, I, it just became natural for me to say, hey, do you want to come on my YouTube channel? And at the beginning, it was very small. It, you know, it was just, I think uh, Reggie was one of the first to come on and you know, and and then yeah, I'll bring on anybody. If you have a passion about video games or music or whatever, you're come on in. We're I'm gonna put you on camera, you know. It'll be fun. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about your style. It would be really easy to do a 2019 version of a YouTube video where you have no pauses of any noticeable nature everything is automated and the video would clip to the next segment between every breath your style is much more of a historian it's an authoritative voice to the subject because you're presenting it you're presenting it positively and you're thorough and you're not in a hurry you might do a 15 or 20 minute video when you could do a 30 but somebody else who's just trying to get started would be putting out a 10-minute video with all the same information and absolutely no cuts. Just dot, 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 dot. And you pace. You take your time. Yeah, yeah, I do. And, and you know, that, that can feel a little bit old school in this world where, you know, it's funny. You'll watch, like, uh, vlogging-style videos, and it's just, you know, jump cut after jump cut. They, they remove all the breath. And it's like, it's funny. We were watching this vlogger. It's a travel vlogger upstairs with me and my wife. And... She pointed out, she's just like, it was a younger girl who was talking about travel, and there she just removed all of the breath. And that's great for a three-minute video, but after a while, it start, makes you start feeling really anxious. There's no, it's not natural to how we talk and how we think. And um, yeah, I'm not interested in doing that for sure. You know, I, I definitely like more of a conversation Um just a little bit more natural to find some sort of balance there because you do want to keep people's attention. That is a big challenge with YouTube is that, you know, you can see the analytics and you'll see, Oh, people drop off after six minutes or whatever. Yeah. You try to figure out why that is, you know, and people, and I'm the same way. I just move on to the next video whenever I feel like I understand what's going on. So it's a balance and it's something you kind of have to learn as you create videos, finding in your style. What's really interesting about that is that, um, Reggie and I typically do pickups videos, which are pretty long videos by YouTube standard. I mean, we basically sit on a couch. We have 30 games to talk about. We capture all the footage ourselves, so it's a ton of work. But, uh, you know, in YouTube world, that's, a, you know, an hour-long video is pretty crazy. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, I, I, I posed the question in my last one. I was like, hey, would you guys prefer just to get like a 20-minute video? Overwhelmingly, people were like, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> they They... They're like, no, 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 no. We want you and Reggie sitting on the couch, you know, drinking a beer, talk about video games for as long as you guys need to. And that was actually really nice to hear. I was like, oh, cool. That's uh, that's very unusual in the YouTube world. Yeah, we've dealt with that as well because we've had, you know, in the early days of the podcast, like the Dream Theater episode, that was like, what, two hours? Um, Opeth was like two hours, you know. We we've done we did one on Asley dying that was like ridiculously too long and we'll never do that again. But like we had people like oh god like all my friends would joke my other podcaster friends would be like you guys kept it under four hours this time right you know and like <laughs> and I'm like well we're talking about a whole band's discography you know and and yeah there there's a lot of side roads uh, with that but then we started like Joe and I were like okay well what can we do to trim the fat what can we do to make it you know, like more focused and so we what we started putting out like what 35 minute to 45 minute episodes and we did that for a while and then people started complaining they're like well these are too short we want we yeah. want we want more content you know <laughs> and i'm like well, oh well you know i i don't know i we'll, we'll just do what we can i guess well you guys know this that there is a there's a Diminishing returns on something that's really long, you start losing energy, right? Oh, yeah. And so, or you get drunk, you know, <laughs> you start saying <laughs> crazy stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I know for me personally, like, for instance, the, the pickups videos that towards the end, 
Uh, and Reggie actually has has looked at me. He's like, dude, this is going on a little long. And and it's, he's not saying that because like he just wants to, he he. I can tell the the energy is it, it's hard to maintain. You know what I mean? And it's and also keep the words going and all that sort of stuff. So there's been a couple times where we've actually taken a little bit of a break in the middle or at the end of a pickups video just to grab some water and kind of come back a little bit. And we're usually able to hide that with a little bit of uh, gameplay footage and no one ever knows. But, right. um, but, but my point bringing that up is that people don't realize watching that. It's like, yeah, energy is a thing. You're, you, you are, we don't, we're not performing, but we're trying to keep our energy up and, you know, keep things going and stuff like that. And that can be a little bit draining if it goes on a little bit too long. And especially in a podcast too, I did a podcast a couple of years ago with some friends of mine and, uh, they didn't warn me that they do long podcasts and, uh, you know, and at their mark, I was like, Oh my God. You know, I just, I personally was like, wow, I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's having your focus on something for so long can be a little bit draining. So it's a balance for sure. Well, and one thing that I wanted to touch on that you guys said earlier, you know, Joe was talking about positivity. What was your, or was it even a conscious decision or was it just you that, you know, your, your channel has always been predominantly positive and I know for a fact that when you started, that was not the norm uh, in, in YouTube. Yeah. Everybody, everybody was trying to be the nerd, you know, and and try to be negative and talk about stuff in a negative light. And it's not that you love every single game that you talk about on your channel. It's just even whenever you don't like something, you're just like, yeah, I didn't like this because yada 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 yada, and then you move on. You know, yeah. um, was that yeah. a conscious decision or is that just you? Uh, that's mostly me. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty positive guy. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it, well, I should say that, that a, a, an event did happen fairly early on in, in my YouTube career. Actually, it was before I was doing YouTube full time, but I'm trying to remember exactly what year that was, although my wife would be able to tell me, but essentially, you know, early on, uh, unfortunately my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and, and, and and so I actually did a video kind of about that because we threw a party. We called it a bye bye booby party because she was going to get a mastectomy. And so we we had a bunch of people over. It was a very positive thing, and you know, hoping for the best sort of thing. But anyways, I remember very distinctly going, "This YouTube thing, it's about video games. Like you know, it's 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 important, but it's about video games." And so it really put everything into perspective a little bit, you know, um, going through that process. And thankfully she is cancer free for a while now, actually, but getting, going through that process, I was like, not that I would have been negative before or anything, but I was just like, at the end of the day, we are talking about video games and music, which I think are great. They're the best part you know, of my life. And so I love doing it and focusing on a negative is just not something I do. You know, I'm glad that people respond to that. I get a, I get that comment a lot where people are like, they're so glad that they can watch my YouTube channel with their kids or if they're having a bad day at work, you know, they know that they can put on one of my videos. And so I'm glad that people are responding to that for sure. So, well, yeah. And like, it's definitely like, cause I'm kind of like have been accused of being negative, you know, as far as, uh, as far as the show goes and stuff like that. But I always respect people that are able to find the good in stuff that maybe or you like find things and that that's what i think is kind of cool about the hidden gems video is as much as as much shit as people give you about those um right. that's one thing that i like about them is that like you're like yeah it's not the greatest game ever made but yeah. you can find enjoyment from it if you look at it from this perspective you know and that yeah. that's cool Often nobody that's else really does that <laughs> well yeah the price yeah. is always really good do usually the, a lot of the hidden gems will start off at like 290 like some of the Wii games you were talking about like are at my local game store for like less than 10 bucks you know yeah. so it's I mean like, honestly I, I spend more on my mocha you know I'm, right. and I drink that in 10 minutes <laughs> right um, did you ever did you ever imagine whenever you you know whenever you first started doing the videos that you would be able to do it like in a sustainable manner like to the point where you know you would actually this would actually be your job you you'd actually in a certain sense be paid to play video games and talk oh, about them. hell no <laughs> no i you know it's funny because um yeah i i'm i pinch myself because you know this is a new type of career that did not exist 10 years ago right yeah. you know i mean youtube came out in 2006 but you know to think that someone could be doing this full time i mean and not only just on youtube but streaming or it's just a it's just a wild time that i think is amazing that it actually happened and 
um, yeah, I'm I'm stunned by it, and I absolutely don't take it for granted. I mean, it just feels like wow, this is like a a, a great opportunity that happened, and I'm and I'm glad that I took the leap to do it full time because that was a very scary thing to do. Uh, I remember going into my I had an IT help desk customer service job that at the time, and I the CEO pulled me into the, his office the last day, and he's like, "I don't think you should do it. I think you're making a huge mistake." This is a guy who who was very successful at Microsoft, now running the company that was paying me, and uh, telling me that I was making a huge mistake by leaving and going to YouTube. And I was, you know, I, I listened to him. I was like, "Wow, that's." interesting but i also believed in what i was doing and i believe that he was wrong i believe that he had he, for all the knowledge that he may have in the tech industry and he, he didn't always talk about when it came to youtube and i was going to do it anyways and so i'm really glad i did that yeah that's i mean that's terrifying the concept for me is terrifying you know joe and i have a unofficial uh you know life plan called get paid to talk you know, and um, <laughs> and you know, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, we're not we're not doing it full time, but at the same time, like, we're so much further than I thought we would ever be. Uh, mm-hmm. Just at this point, where you know, the very first time somebody contributes to your Patreon, you're like, "Holy shit, really?" You know, like, yeah. it's one of those yeah. like, it's like, "Oh my god, really?" Like, you you actually care about this shit that I'm doing, you know? And uh, I think that is that that is the most gratifying part of it. And, um, I thought the thing that I thought was really cool and I wanted to mention it on this, on this recording specifically was that you had posted, uh, a picture of your CD, you know, and it had all of the, the mp3.com and all that stuff. And it's so funny because yeah. Joe, Joe and I have so been there, you know, like with the, with the CD <laughs> that's got the website on it, on it and everything yeah. And, yeah. and all that. And, uh, you know, how, how cool was it for you that people were like, how do I get that? <laughs> like, how do I get a copy of that? I know. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a trip. I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, it was cool to show that off. Cause you, you never, uh, you never know if people are going to care or anything. And, but what was really interesting about that, actually, it's funny you asked that. Cause I, I can share something with you is that, um, I met a guy, Troy, who has been on several of my final pickups videos. He runs a local, Seattle record store, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, um, publisher. So he's a record label and he's been putting out vinyl for a while and he's been bugging me to like, dude, you got to do a metal Jesus vinyl release. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's cool. Troy. I mean, I appreciate it, but it's like, I don't know if anyone's going to care. And so when I put that video out and people are like, Hey, where can I get that? I was like, like, well, Troy, maybe we should, you know, it'd be, it'd be really cool to do. So, uh, I'll show you actually, I got, I got the, the very, t- I got the test pressing, for my theme song, nice from Kill Room Records, and it comes with a little. So he brought this over the other day. He's like, "What do you think?" And I was like, "Wow, dude!" Oh, so it's the theme song. Shit, it's a theme song and two other songs on a seven-inch vinyl. Where's so the print cool. screen button on this keyboard? I'm kidding. <laughs> <Right>? I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so I'll share that with you because I'm gonna. Uh, so we we approved it, and uh, so yeah, I'll, I'm gonna put this out fairly soon so that's pretty cool did you have it remastered for vinyl yes yes and it's the entire theme song so my theme song on my videos is actually only 17 seconds long but the actual song itself is about three minutes long because it's got a guitar solo and a bunch of stuff like that in there Um, but to answer your question when he handed me this this was one of the most surreal moments of my life because this is a, a song i wrote back in 96 or something like that 95 it's so long ago it's like it's so weird <laughs> to see it you know actually in vinyl and physical it was i mean i still look at it going wow that's i i almost can't look at it. i'm like that's so weird it's so bizarre it's cool yeah absolutely like that's got to be very gratifying and um you know yeah. i think it's i think it's cool um you know i've i've watched your channel for a long time and this is uh we're running, we're running a little low on time, so I'm, uh, I'm gonna add the uh, add the mushy stuff at the end. I've been watching your videos for a long time, and so you have to understand how how it made me feel whenever I sent you that original message back on the Allison Chains episode, when 
I was like, hey, we got this podcast, yada, 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 yada. And you're like, I know your podcast, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know your podcast well. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, uh, okay, cool. Well, awesome. <laughs> like, I didn't even know how to feel about it because I was like, and it was the same thing. Like, whenever we had James Rolf on, like, God, the first time he signed into Skype and he was on st- sitting there in the nerd room, <laughs> we were like trying really hard to be cool. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we were like trying not to be fanboys yeah. and stuff, yeah. but it was, uh, it was inevitable. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely one of those things that I, I have loved watching you grow as a YouTuber, um, throughout my, throughout my viewing history. And, um, you know, I just think it's really cool to have kind of a, like an interview like this to be a little bit kind of autobiographical and, you know, um, I just want to say that, you know, I hope you do well, you continue to do well and, um, you know, in, in, in light of, of, of some, some more negative aspects of, of YouTube that have existed recently, you know, fuck the haters. <laughs> You're killing it. Awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I Like I said, I try to focus on the positive, man. It's like, these are video games and music. It's like, what's not to love, you know? Right. Yeah. What, what is there to be angry about, really? Yeah, exactly. I did want to ask you, and want to get it officially on tape. Um, we are, we do have Striper on the schedule for this year. I don't know what month it is yet. Oh. But we are going to, we are going to concede and do a Striper episode. Um, so we would, we would love to have you back huh. for that. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we are, uh, it, it'll be happening sometime in 2020. I want to do the striper episode and I want to do the kiss episode. Now, I know. Kiss is going to be tricky because I know I, I, I think what you should do is break it up into just half, just do the first half of kiss and the second half okay. and I'll help you with that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That sounds I'll, good. I'll, but yeah, Striper would be a lot of fun. I, you know, I think we've talked about this. Striper has, in my mind, actually gotten better in the last uh, five years. The last couple albums, last three albums, four albums. Yeah, no, really I completely, good. ever since so, Reborn. Um, yeah. I, I agree. A hundred percent. They're they're really, they're back on top of it and they're plugged in and they know yeah. like, that they know how to be a band from that era now. You yes, know. I com- completely agree. Yeah, so... Cool. Very cool. Yeah, well, well, thank you so much for having me on this podcast, guys. You guys are awesome. Huge fan. Um, I would come back anytime you ask. Sweet. Well, we will keep that in mind for sure.